Welcome to the Ask Dr. Chad podcast. My name is Dr. Chad Woodard, cultivator of people, speaker, performance coach, entrepreneur, and endurance athlete. Bringing you content to optimize your health, forge the leadership skills you need, and to unlock your true potential. Thank you for joining me today. Now, let's start asking questions. Episode 5. Oh, can we lighten this up a little bit? Nope, not yet. All right, so, uh, as I had said the first time I almost died, meh, not as exciting. The second time I almost died, now that's a story. So I guess I'll tell it. Let me set up the scene here. It is 1999. I feel like we should sing a song about it, but I won't. So it's 1999 in a, a full effort at compensations for my feeling of femininity, battling my masculinity, or whatever that story might be. I was the proud over owner of a gigantic pickup truck. I mean, this thing, it, it was ridiculous. It was it, possibly the most ridiculous car that's ever been. Let me explain. Picture a huge, huge truck, but it had been lowered to the ground and had these small yet very fat wheels on it. Um, I, I don't even know how to describe this thing. Picture a monster truck with the wheels of a tricycle. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's about right. That's about right. Uh, a ridiculous looking thing. Um, totally out of proportions. I don't know why it looked like that. I don't know why I thought I wanted that car at any point in my life, but there it was. Also, I think the muffler had been altered so that way, I mean, if I was just idling at a stop sign, like it sounded like, you know, death was looming, right? It's just, just this ridiculous loud truck. And I was so proud of this truck. I, I mean, I was like, I would drive that thing around, window down, one arm out, sunglasses on, and I mean, I'm probably wearing booty shorts, if we're going to be honest. I don't know, but um, it wasn't a good fit uh, for... I, it wasn't a good fit for, I don't think, any human being. I can't imagine the caricature of a person who would be perfect for this truck. But there I was, driving it. Ridiculous. So that was my car. I was 19 years old. And if you've been following along this story, at 19 years old... Things were dicey. Yep, things were pretty dicey. Um, I was doing my best, but mm, not going well. I'm living in New Mexico, in Albuquerque, and I'm living with my grandmother. And can I just take a quick aside to just pay homage to the brilliance of this woman? I loved her. What a spectacular human. And her life story, yo, I can make a whole nother podcast about all the stuff she went through. But there I was, living with her, and doing my best, learning my lessons, and I was in college. This was my freshman year, second season, second semester. And it was Easter Sunday. And I had 
some sort of, it was English 102, I had a paper I had to write. Now, brace yourselves, young people. This was before most of us had computers at home. And so, I decided on Easter Sunday I was going to go and drive to the university library to go write up this paper, this assignment that I had. So, uh, I had my cousin with me. Um, at the time, I might get this wrong a little bit, I believe he was roughly 10 years old. So, he was with me. We hop in my truck. Now, earlier that day, I swear all of this is, is important to the story. Stay with me. Earlier that day, I was working at a very small veterinary clinic, and on Sundays, they would have a vaccination clinic that if we worked it, we would get $20 in cash, which was great money for a 19-year-old in the late 90s, right? At 20 bucks in cash, it was amazing. So earlier that day, on Easter Sunday, I worked the shift, and I got my $20. I was waving it around the air. I was a pure baller. So... It's now time to drive to the campus, and I'm gonna write this English 102 paper. My cousin is with me, we hop in my truck, and we drive to a nearby gas station. Now, before I continue on, the part of town that I was living in with my grandmother was a pretty rough part of town. Uh, my family doesn't have money, I don't come from money, and my grandmother had a very nice, comfortable home, uh, but in a pretty dicey neighborhood. Now, at that time, uh, the, the gang violence and um, uh, the, kind of the prevalence of gangs in Albuquerque was becoming a, a pretty big problem, right? Quite a bit of violence and, and, and uh, you know, crime because of gangs. And I lived in a part of town that was somewhat of an epicenter for one of the gangs. So it wasn't a great place to be, you know, at dark or late at night, things like that. You know, you just, you just knew to be home. And uh, for example, like my grandmother's house had wrought iron bars on the on the windows to make sure that we were safe. Uh, so it was it was it was a beautiful home. I have so many fond memories of that home, but it was not a great safe place part of town. So there I was. Now we're back. I'm in this absolutely stupid truck. My cousin, who's ten, we hop in the car and we're about to go off for me to write my paper. I think back. What the hell was my 10-year-old cousin going to do at the library as I was writing my paper? I don't know. But there he was. He was with me. I guess he was going to sit and watch me write a paper. We were simple people. So, But I had that 20 bucks. And I thought, oh, all right, I'm going to stop by this gas station before going off to the university to pick up some gas. Now, uh, the timing of day was probably around that 6 p.m.-ish. I know that because the sun was just going down. So there I was, I was getting gas. I had to go prepay because I certainly didn't have a credit card. So I, had, I went and I took my $20 bill. I went into the gas station and I said, I'll take $20 on pump whatever. So there I was and I was pumping gas. And you know, the, just those, those periods of time where you're just kind of like, you're just going through life, you're doing these routine things and, and you know, it's, just such a routine thing. You're not even really paying attention to your surroundings. You're just kind of zoning out and you're spacing and you're thinking about whatever it is you're thinking about. So that was me. I was just pumping up my gas and probably staring off into space. I don't know. And just 
out of the corner of my eye, I noticed that somebody was walking in my direction, but walking kind of fast. And you know whenever like you're just, your spidey senses go off. I don't know why my spidey senses went off. There's an interesting part of our nervous system that you just know, you just get a feeling. There's some sort of energetic exchange whenever things are like, uh-oh, I don't know why I'm even saying this, but things don't feel good right now. I had that feeling before I even recognized what was happening. Something that was coming towards me felt menacing. And I looked, the person walking towards me had a red handkerchief across his face, which that's always alarming. The other thing that was alarming was that he was holding a gun straight out away from him at shoulder level, pointing it right at my chest. And I froze. And he proceeded to explain he wanted my money. It became very threatening. I stayed very calm. Now, in stature, he was kind of a smaller guy. I bet, I couldn't see his face well, of course. I bet he was around 14 to 16 years old. Young guy. And had a gun held in my chest. And as best as I can remember, here's how it went down. He said, give me your wallet. So I did. I reached in very calmly. I got my wallet and I handed it to him. He took his eyes away from me for a moment to look at the wallet, only to realize there was no money inside. And he said, where's your money? I said, I don't have any money. I had $20, but I went and I gave it to the attendant inside to prepay for the gas. And that was the only money that I had. I don't believe you. I'm sorry. I'm not lying to you. All the cash I had, I just prepaid for my gas. If you don't give me the rest of your money, I will shoot you. Please don't shoot me. I don't have any money. The only money that I have is change in the ashtray of my car. That's the only money I have. I will get that for you. You can have that. It continued. And I don't remember how many times he asked me for my money, but his tone was becoming more and more aggressive, more violent. And what it was, I just stood, totally powerless. I didn't know what to do. So finally he relents, he gives up, he throws my wallet on the ground, he said, where are your keys? He said, they're hanging in the ignition. He said, okay, get in. So I got in, his gun still carefully aimed at me. As I got in my car, my cousin, who is 10 years old, 
is sitting in the passenger seat watching everything. So I looked at this guy and I said, can the kid get out of the car? And he said, yeah, yeah, get out of the car. I turned to my cousin and I said, get out of the car, go inside, do not watch. I found out later that my cousin defied my orders and went and just stood like five feet away and did exactly what I told him not to do. He stood nearby and he watched. I'm gonna kill him. So thank God my cousin's not in the car anymore. And I think, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do whatever this guy says. So <clears throat> he says, okay, start the car. I do. He says, get out. I do. He gets in my car. He looked at me. The gun is still pointed at my chest. He looked at me and I can only see his eyes. I can't see the rest of his face or his facial expressions. With the gun still pointed right at my chest at close range, not even six to eight inches away. He was in my truck. It was running now. I was standing and our eyes connected and he paused. I stood dumbly. What, what else was I supposed to do? I just stood and I was observing and waiting. And when our eyes connected, he paused. And it felt like an eternity. And I know that sounds crazy, but I feel like we stood there and we looked at each other for the longest time. In reality, probably half a second, but it just felt like like I studied that kid's face, the parts of it that I could see, and I memorized it. I know the exact color of his eyes. I know what he looked like. I know what he smelled like. I could smell him and, and I could feel my heart racing. And I could just see whatever cues I was getting, just something. And then just like that, he pulled his gaze away from me, closed the door, and sped away, tires screeching right into traffic, and drove away. And I was left standing at the gas station, my wallet on the ground, the gas nozzle right next to my wallet. He had just thrown it. And I just stood. And I thought, I think actually what I did at that time, as I watched my, my truck, which I was just my prized possession as it sped away without me in it, I believe I said the most appropriate thing that one can say at a time like that. Fuck. And then I went inside. I went and I told the clerk, I was like, uh, can you help me? Um, so the man just, he's like, yep, saw the whole thing. I've already called the cops. I was like, oh, great. Thank you. So there I was in the gas station. Um, maybe cell phones weren't a thing at that time. I think they were a thing, but I didn't have one. So I was just standing and I said, 
uh, can you call my grandmother? So this guy was great. He tried to call. The line is busy. This is before call waiting. <laughs> oh my God, I'm old. He tried, can't get through. He said, listen, kid, just wait for the police. 45 minutes later, no kidding, 45 minutes later, finally a cop comes. And I'd just been standing. I mean, I really knew that store well. I was just pacing those aisles back and forth. And I knew, every, I knew how many packages of candy they had by the brand name. 45 minutes later, a cop comes and I'm hysterical. I'm like, it's been 45 minutes. I mean, this guy could be, you know, halfway to Tucumcari by now, right? Um, that's a town, by the way. And they said, oh, wait, he held you at gunpoint? I'm like, yeah. And the cop said, oh, we didn't know that. We thought he just took your car. We would have gotten here sooner. Oh, thanks. Well, that, that makes me feel much better. Terrific. What do we do now? And he said, okay, well, tell me what happened. And I did. And and I explained, uh, you know, okay, well, you know, uh, my cousin was in the car and then I got in the car and then I asked if he could get out of the car and then he did get out of the car and then the guy drove off and, and the police officer said, okay, well, where's your cousin? I don't know. My cousin was gone. He was gone. So, oh my God. I, I've just been held at gunpoint. I'm 19, I'm freaking out. My ridiculous truck drove, just drove away. Where's my cousin? We looked all over the store. We went outside. We looked into the bathrooms. Gone. He's gone. I was, that was it. That was it. I mean, it, I don't know how close a human being can get to a nervous breakdown without actually crossing the threshold, but I was there. Just right before nervous breakdown, my cousins disappeared and I, I became hysterical. In the middle of all the hysteria, listen to this, the middle of the hysteria where I, I truly, I don't know what to do. I, my cousin's been kidnapped. That's the only reason, that's the only thing I can come up with, right? Like he's been kidnapped. He's 10 years old. We're at this gas station. I am the worst human being in the world that I'm so wrapped up in all my drama that he'd gone. I don't know. He ran away. He freaked out. I don't know. He's, somebody's got him. And here comes a car pulling up. Out pops my cousin. What the hell are you doing in that car? And a man gets out of the car. <laughs> And he looks at me and he's like, no, just calm down, young man. I'm a police officer. I saw everything that happened. So I grabbed your cousin and we decided to hop in the car and drive down the road a little bit and see if we could find where your truck went. Have you lost your mind? You didn't think to mention that to me? I don't even know how long they were gone. I, <laughs> I mean, I almost committed homicide that day on a cop. I, oh. I mean, this is not a representation of the Albuquerque Police Department. I'm sure that they would scoff at this story as well. But are you kidding me? You're a cop in civilian clothing and you grab a 10-year-old, you pop him into your car without mentioning it to the person he's with, and you drive down the road? Oh, my God. Telling the story, I, my heart still races. I still can't believe that nonsense. Thank God. Okay, my cousin's back. I expressed my opinion to the police officer in civilian clothing. He didn't appreciate my expression. I didn't care. I wanted to let him know that I disagreed with his choice.
Oh, okay. Okay, fine. <sighs> Please, sir, leave my life. My cousin's back. All right, what do we do next? The police officer. The one dressed as a police officer now. He picks up the phone and he does whatever police officers do. He breaks into the call uh, of my grandmother and somehow reaches her. And here's what he says. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that we have had an issue with your grandson. It's like, well, don't say it like that. I was like, and you're a cop calling my grandmother and we've had an issue with your grandson? What'd you say it like that for? You say, dear Mrs. So-and-so, everything is now fine. I'm in the company of your grandson, who is also fine, and he's done nothing wrong, and he's a good boy. But also, here's some news. Jerk. So anyway, then he does the same thing, calls my mom. Uh, yes, uh, this is Officer So-and-so, just letting you know that we've had a problem with your son. You did it again! What's the matter with you? There's no problem with the son. The son is fine. I'm yelling in the background, Mom, I'm fine. There's been no issue. Please do not become a... Thank God. My grandmother had called my mom and was like, uh, make sure you're sitting down. Here's a fun story. Your son just got carjacked. So thank God my mom already knew. She was still living in Missouri at the time. So, anyway... We get through all of that, and here's what the cop says. Makes me mad to this day. Ah, oh, these kids in these gangs. I cannot wait for the day that one of these kids pulls a gun on me. Really, sir? You can't wait for that? You know, I've just been through it, and I'm gonna say, it's not as great as you seem to think it's gonna be. I'm gonna say, it was kinda rotten. But thank you for sharing your opinion. I hope you get what you want out of life. And if that's what you want, who am I to question you? Most surreal thing ever. It was just like, well, now what do I do? I think the police drove me to my grandmother's with my cousin, who, bless his heart, he's probably still got dents in his arm because once I got him back, I mean, I wouldn't let the kid go. So... <laughs> So we get back. They found my truck the next day, actually. This speaks to the, the safety of the neighborhood I lived in. This young assailant could have driven my truck anywhere. Where he drove it, ironically, was half a block away from where I lived. Not on purpose, mind you, but because the neighborhood I lived in was so dicey that that was where the abandoned empty lot was that they decided it would be safe enough to strip the truck. Ironically, half a block away. So that's where they found my truck the next morning. Conveniently, just around the corner from my house. So, okay, weird, right? Now my grandfather had a business where he bought salvaged cars, rebuilt them, and then sold them. That was his, his life's work. He was great at it. And so here's my truck now. I remember getting in my truck, and they trashed it, right? I mean, it was... Um, it was just totally trash. The wheels were gone. Those stupid little short, fat, squatty wheels were gone. And I was attached to them for whatever reason, but off they were and disappeared. And they'd also just vandalized it. You know, they'd like taken a, a knife or whatever, and they'd cut the dashboard and the seats a bit. And, but I got in and the things that struck me the most, I sat in the car again and I grabbed the steering wheel and I took my hand off of the steering wheel 
and it was just covered in black dust. And they had dusted for fingerprints, the police had. And I was just, my hands were covered in this black dust. And I looked and it was kind of torn up. And, and the one thing I was sad about was all of my CDs. Now, for those of you listening who don't know what a CD is, please never tell me that to my face because that's just rude. But all of my music, like all of these like CDs that I'd spent just hours and hours burning and creating were all gone. Things that I couldn't replace. And I thought, nope, this is just not my truck anymore. So bummer, you know. And so then here's the crazy thing. Not long after that, actually, before I even tell you that story, I was just kind of okay with all of this, I guess. Right? It was just a weird, crazy experience. I mean, I got held at gunpoint. I got carjacked, but nobody got hurt, and I got my truck back. Yeah, it was a little bit damaged, and then my grandfather, I had insurance, so we took the insurance money, and we bought all the necessary parts with the insurance money, and my grandfather, he fixed it up, and... It was a truck again. But it was just kind of this weird, like, oh, well, okay. I guess that's a new thing that happened to me. A week later, at a gas station about a quarter of a mile from the gas station where I had been carjacked. Same time of day. It was dusk. So dusk was a particularly good time for this because the surveillance cameras were switching from daytime mode to nighttime mode, so they weren't picking up the detail like they normally would. A man was carjacked by a young assailant wearing a red bandana, and before the young man drove away, shot the man in the chest, and he died. Same story. It's just in this version of the story, the owner of the car got shot at close range in the chest, and he died. The police officer who had worked with me that night shared that story with me. And the best that they could realize, or the best they could put together, was this was a gang initiation, most likely. This young man, to get into the gang, was to perform this exact act. And to be initiated into the gang, not only did he need to steal somebody's car, but he had to shoot them to prove he was willing to do anything necessary for his gang. Now, I don't know if they ever found this kid. I don't know what his life was like. They didn't find him soon. And so the best that we could piece together was he was supposed to shoot me that day. Now, there's a lot of assumptions there. Might have been a different kid. Um, maybe it wasn't a gang initiation. Maybe it was a total coincidence. And I'll tell you, there's not a single piece of me that believes any of that. I believe 
It was the same young man who almost finished the mission with me. He took the car, and that moment where he was sitting in my truck, and I was standing, and our eyes met, that moment, I believe he was going through the fight of his life. He was told he was supposed to pull the trigger, and that would finish the job. And he didn't. But a week later, he did. And only then, when I learned the rest of that story, whenever I learned the context and everything behind it, did I have an appreciation for what had actually happened. Only then. I believe that on Easter Sunday of 1999, I was supposed to die. Fate, circumstance, whatever. That was what I think was supposed to happen. And when that kid looked at me before he drove off, his internal dialogue was, I'm supposed to kill this dude. And he couldn't do it. The irony of the timeline, as I record this particular episode, is we are almost exactly 21 years past that date. 21 years of borrowed time. Boy, you ever just want to wake up and get some new perspective? Almost dying is really, really effective. It really puts things into perspective for you. And you know what messed me up the most? It was a weird, weird, um, totally unexpected result of all of this, is at that time, 19 years old, not long before that, I was considering suicide. Even gave it a go. I wanted to die. Things were so bad. My life was so awful, and I was such a terrible person that I wanted to die. And yet, I found myself in a situation where my life was almost taken from me and I didn't like it. I didn't want that. Oh, like, what, a, what an absolute mess. Had you asked me, had I asked myself earlier that Sunday morning, hey kid, do you want to continue living on? A good part of me would have said, no, I do not. And then that afternoon, I almost died. And I was immediately at conflict with myself. How in the world can I be suicidal? How can I want to die? How can I want all of this to end? And yet, whenever that situation presents itself to me, I protect. What do I want? What am I after here? Like, what, what, what is the meaning of all of this? If I do want to die and I don't want to die at the same time, I'm at an existential crisis right now. And the reason why I say 
it gave me incredible perspective is because it made me wake up. It made me open my eyes. Now, it took me a while to really find the beauty in life and to find the appreciation and to use the lessons that I had learned. But for 21 years now, I've been able to look back and say, I got this close to dying, so close. I was supposed to get shot that day, and I didn't. So what are you going to do? What is the important stuff then? All right, now I guess if you can make peace with, I'm alive, and I guess there's a part of me that wants to stay that way, then what the hell am I supposed to do? What is the purpose of all of this? And the journey from that point has been, yet again, completely different. At 16, things happen in my life that absolutely changed the trajectory of my life. Took it from one railing and didn't even like change it. It just put me on a different rail. 19 years old, it happened again. Everything changed again. Weird, huh? Processing that, learning that, appreciating this new thing I had just learned, which was the impermanence, the delicacy of life. I had been spending the years before that day completely out of touch with the gift that I had. And in one big fell swoop, I got a nice dose of perspective. I got a lesson. I got an opportunity to see. What did I want? Who was I? What was my purpose? Why was I doing these things? Now, I don't recommend that you get carjacked. I don't recommend that you almost die. I don't recommend any of those things. Turns out, not terrific. But what I do recommend, live your life as though you have. What if you have an experience today that you do almost die, that you get close? Are you ready? Have you lived the way that you wanted to? Do the people around you know that you love them the way that you really hope that they know? Have you worked on your life? Have you put effort and invested energy enough into your purpose that you're proud of? Or are you coasting? Are you just kind of waiting it out? That day, 21 years ago, taught me so much. What a beautiful opportunity. It taught me really what's important. And every day since then, I've had the opportunity and the gift to see it. And I don't plan to waste it.
I'm living on borrowed time, but guess what? So are you. We all are. It's just a matter of what you do with the time that you have. We're all going to die. Someday. Somehow. The gift that I've been given is I've gotten really close to that day, and I've tasted it. And it makes me think. It makes me work. It makes me push. It makes me love. It makes me feel courage. It makes me want to help people grow. Invite that into your life. Don't wait until you're old and crusty and you got a bad attitude and your arthritis is kicking up. See if you can do it now. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.